Now, I'm excited to be here for a number of reasons this morning. First of all, I'm excited to be here because I know that none of us are here by chance. Well, let that, let that soak in for a moment. None of us are here by chance. All of us are here by the providence of God. Now, when we talk about God's providence, that means that God is providing something for us that we didn't even realize we needed. And if God brought us here and we're not here by chance, that means that God wants to do something in us or through us. And so we're excited to be able to, to know that the God of the universe brought us here this morning, which means that these days are bigger than us. And not only did God bring us here in, um, in his providence, but if he brought you here, then that means that he brought somebody else here just like you. Somebody with the same marital problems that you have. Somebody with the same financial problems that you have. Somebody with the same prodigal child like you have. Somebody with the same bondage in immorality or pornography or whatever bondage of sin that you're in. Somebody with the same past like you have that you don't want anybody else to know about. There's somebody here just like you. you see, guys, we come to church every Sunday, and we want everybody else to know that we're fine. How you doing, Brother John? I'm fine. I'm fine. No matter what happened on your way here, you want everybody else to know that you're fine. Now, I've got quite a few children, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes Sunday mornings are crazy in my house. And it, I don't know what happens. It's like Satan just shows up. We get out of bed, and he's standing there, right? He knows what day it is, and, and we're trying to get ready for church, and my, you know, the little boy in the house, he, he's eating breakfast, he's already dressed, and he gets syrup in his hair and syrup on his clothes, and so now we got to take him and, and bathe him again for like the fourth time that morning, and, and then the girls come out of their room, and they've got the 12th outfit on for the morning, and they're wondering if it looks okay, and you're thinking, just put something on, we got to go, and, and then your wife comes out of, the, out of the bedroom, and she's like, baby, does this make me look fat? And, and you don't know what exactly, uh-oh, you don't know what to say, right? You're like, oh my goodness, what, whatever you say is going to be wrong. And, and it's just chaos, and, and you're nitpicking and fighting, and you get in the minivan, and you're on the, you're on the way to church, and, and you and your wife are not really doing good right now because of what you said about her outfit, and, and you're fighting, and the kids are back there going, he's looking at me, she's breathing my air, they're looking out my window, and you're thinking, if I could just reach you back there, and then you pump the brake so they come forward, so you connect, <laughs> See, you've done it. You've done it. You know, it's just, it's just chaos. You're, you're having a horrible morning, and then, but there's something, Pastor John, I don't understand it. Maybe, maybe you sprinkle water on it or something, but there's something about this sanctified church concrete. World War III is going on in the minivan, and you're fighting. If I have to tell you this one more time, I'm so sick and tired. Glory to God. How you doing? I'm fine, brother. Fine. Glory. Praise Jesus. Everything's wonderful. I'm fine. I'm F-I-N-E. You know, it's probably the most honest thing we'll ever say to anybody on, on Sunday. Because all of us are fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. We're fine. F-I-N-E. 
We have these issues going on in our life, and there's somebody else in here just like us. We don't want anybody to know that we're on the roller coaster of life, and it seems like we're going over the top of the hill. We're going down into disaster. I'm also excited because we as a ministry get the wonderful opportunity in these days to come alongside you and seek the great reviver. We're excited about being able to say, God, we're desperately needy. Just like everybody else in here, we need you. And God tells us that when two or three come together, he will inhabit the praises of his people. And so we're asking God to do that. Your pastor prayed on Saturday. I love what he was actually telling a, a story uh, on Saturday, and I loved what he said. He says you, he was talking about a, a, a revival that he was a part of, a true, genuine meeting with God. And he says, you walked into the room, and there was a heaviness in the room. Guys, can I ask you a question? When's the last time you came to church? And there was a heaviness of the presence of God in the room. That's what we're asking for in these days. We're, I love what the, the video said. Uh, revival is a community saturated with God. That's what we're asking for. We're wanting to be a community saturated with God. I think about that word saturated. I think about a sponge. You know, you take that sponge, you put it down in a five-gallon bucket of water, and what's it going to do? It's just going to suck that water up, right? And then what happens when you reach into that bucket and you pull that sponge out full of water and you squeeze it? You're going to get wet, right? What if we became a church that was so saturated with God that when we went out into the world and we got squeezed, because you're going to get squeezed, we got squeezed and folks got God juice on them. God came out. No matter the circumstances, no matter what life brings us, Folks get God on them when we get squeezed. So it's going to be our honor in these days to just cry out and, and ask God to truly saturate us. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you in here, when your pastor began to talk about eight days, how many of you thought, you are crazy out of your mind? You're in church. One lady's honest. Thank you, darling. Everybody else, they just afraid to admit it. You hear me? Eight days? Are you serious? Well, we realize that how important it is, as your pastor said this morning, to take these protracted periods of time to just kind of hit pause on our lives and allow God to begin to evaluate us and for us to evaluate ourselves and our relationship with the Lord and say, Lord, is my life pleasing to you? Do I bring glory and honor to you in everything that I do? And allow God to begin to examine those dark areas of our lives that, you know what, we really don't want to look at. I've gotten a better understanding of those dark areas in, in, in uh, these days. You know, we, now we live our life in one of the RVs that you see in your parking lot. Ours is the big one out there. And every couple of weeks, we fold that thing up and we travel down the road. And there's something that happens no matter how clean my wife makes it before we close that thing down, Miss Lou. No matter how clean it is, when we close it down and we get to the next spot, it's filthy again. There's something about closing it up and making it dark. The creatures come out. There's cobwebs that get formed in those days. There's something about 
closing something up. And what happens in the dark areas of our lives. And we want to ask God to come and examine those dark areas of our lives so that we can truly become this community saturated with God. But if we're going to be a community saturated with God, then we're going to ask you guys to do something in these days. We're going to, I'm going to call these the three core commitments in these days. Here's our first core commitment. We're going to ask you to be open. To be open, to be willing to say, God, look at those things in my life that, quite honestly, I don't really want to look at. If you'd like to take some notes, I'm going to encourage you to open to page 20 in the little booklet that you picked up. Or you can take notes in your notebook or whatever. Page 20. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to be open in these days. The second core commitment is to be honest. Now, if you didn't get one of these workbooks, raise your hand and we'll make sure that you, that you get one. All right, Pastor Greg's going to hand those out and some of our team members will help us do that. Beautiful. Just keep your hand up and they'll get you one of those. So be open and be honest. This means that you're willing to be honest with yourself in these days and you're willing to be honest with God. Honest with yourself and honest with God. You know what, guys, to be honest with you? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to be honest. Sometimes it's hard to say, yes, I have issues. Again, because we want everybody else to think that we're fine. The next core commitment is to be here. To be here. Now, your pastor, I'm sure, has already said, guys, I want you to commit to be here the entire eight days. Let's just begin to come together and seek God's face. Make sure you're here the entire eight days. I'm going to let you off the hook, okay? I just want you to be here through Wednesday. That's all I want you to do. Just commit to me to, and commit to yourself to be here through Wednesday. Now, I'm setting you up because I know if you'll come through Wednesday, you'll come back. Matter of fact, if you have children, you won't be able not to come back because your children will beg you to come back. Trust me. Come to me later and say, you were right, Shane. <laughs> I can't stay away. Because I believe if you're willing, if you're truly willing to allow God to do a work in your heart in these days. You won't want to be anywhere else. We were in Winfield, Pennsylvania last season. And this lady gave a testimony. She said that she had this very strong-willed five-year-old little boy. And he was a terror. Can I let you in on a secret? He was a terror. Okay? And she said it was horrible trying to get him here. And she said by the end of our days... My little boy is not the same little boy again. She said, I have seen God soften his heart. And he's responding to me with a heart of obedience and humility and brokenness. In a five-year-old little boy. Guys, I believe that if you commit to be here and you commit to to the Lord, and you say, God, do whatever it is that you want to do. I believe that, that at the end of our days, you'll be different as well. Now, I don't think that you're going to be different um, because of us. I believe that your time will be truly transformational, not because I'm special or not because Greg is special or not because our team is special, not because we decided we were going to unpack revival out of those semis out there, not because we brought revival with us. We can't do that. We understand that that's a sovereign work of God. 
I believe that your time will be transformational because you met the great transformer in these days. And that's what we've been crying out. God, send your presence. Come and mess us up. Come and interrupt our schedule. I believe that your time will be transformational because God transformed my family and my heart in 2001 when Life Action came to our church. God did spiritual cosmetic surgery on my heart and on the heart of my family. And praise God, we will never be the same again because of what he did in us. And because of what God did in my family, I consider it quite an honor in these days to be able to talk about the revived family with you. I'm excited to be able to talk about what a family looks like when God does a great work. We want to talk about what it looks like to be God's family. Now, why in the world do we need to focus on the family? Well, we all know that as the family goes, the church goes. And as the church goes, the community goes. And as the community goes, the nation goes. And as the nation goes, the world goes, right? So there's this ripple effect. We want to see what it looks like when there's a direct connection with what God's Word says about the family and the way our family functions. What does it look like when we're lined up as a family with the Word of God? See, guys, when God sends revival to our families, not only will our families and our homes begin to look different, but our communities will look different as well. Why? Because when we get squeezed, God comes out. And that begins to affect everybody around us. Guys, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of going to church Sunday after Sunday and leave the same as we came. See, nowhere do you come into the presence of a holy God and leave the same as you came. If we're coming to church Sunday after Sunday, Brother John, and we're leaving the same as we came, the only conclusion that I can draw is we're missing God. We're doing church without God. I know that's the heart of your pastor. Him and I talked a little bit on Saturday, and that's exactly his heart. He doesn't want to just go through the motions of church. Now, some of you are probably thinking, Shane, why are you here talking about the family? I mean, you've got to be every bit of 20, right? Agree with me, <laughs> right? Well, thank you, whoever that was, Tyler. Had to be one of my team members. You just deflated me. So, so you're thinking, why, why is Shane here? You know, I, I can say to you, I've been married 20 years. I, I've got 10 children, four in heaven and six here. We understand what trials are. In our marriage, we were on, the, on, the, on a path to a dead end. And God, in his radical, beautiful way, gave us a detour and saved our marriage. But you know, guys, none of those reasons or qualifications Give it reason for me to be here in these days. Let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here in these days sharing the message on family because I desperately need the message. I have a hard time being a spiritual leader in my home. I have a hard time staying focused on Christ and making sure that my family is going down the right path. I have a hard time doing ministry and doing family. And obviously I need the message because it's before me every week. Over and over. You get it for a week and then we're gone. I get it every week. 
So I'm here because just like you, outside of the grace of God, my family will fall apart. I need the message. Now, let me ask you this morning. Let's do an exercise this morning. Everybody kind of close your eyes just a moment. And in the quietness of the moment, if God were to show up in these days, if God were to come and interrupt your family and your schedule, if God were to come and mess you up, mess your family up in these days, what would change? Open your eyes for me. You know, we're going we're gonna to ask God in these days to answer those questions for us. God, what would change? What would change in me individually? And then what would change in my family as a unit? Now, guys, I understand when I say that word family, it can mean a lot of different things for different people. Some of you in here are married. Some of you are single. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are married again. Some of you are young. Some of you are old. Some of you are widows. Some of you are widowers. Some have children. Some no children. Some grandchildren. Some no grandchildren. So the family looks different for each of us. But I would encourage you to do this. Look down the pew or across the pew. No, really. Look down the pew or across the pew. Now listen to me carefully. Don't miss this. This is your family. God called you to be a part of this family, to be a part of this community. And so we want to ask God, God, what would it look like if we functioned as a family? In these days. So, the material that we're gonna teach, though we're gonna focus on some specific units of the family, all of the material will be applicable to you because you're functioning in the role of a family. The model or the question that we're gonna talk about is what does it look like to be God's? Family. We're gonna be in Colossians chapter one and two today. So if you want to go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter one. We've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That'll help you find it. Colossians chapter 1. The model or the theme that we're going to use over the next several days is this. One life, one God, one glory. One life, one God, one glory. Now let me unpack that for you just a little bit. God gave us this one life. Remember the young man on the video said that life is not a game. God gave us this one life to live under the authority of him and him alone. He is to be enthroned as the only authority in our lives. And why does he want to be enthroned as the only authority? For the purpose of his glory and his glory alone. So that's what I mean by one life, one God one glory. Say that with me out loud. One life, one God, one 
glory. Now look again, the book of Colossians. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Colossae primarily to deal with the doctrinal heresy that had developed within the church. There were people teaching and living in such a way that was contrary to God's truth. They had developed this limited view of God. And as a result, some were living in such a way that did not properly reflect the glory of God. Now, pause here just a moment. Sound familiar? Sure it does. There is doctrinal heresy everywhere around us. Now, I'm sure that Pastor John is preaching the truth and only the truth, but when you exit these four walls, there's heresy all around us. And it's very difficult for us not to breathe in all this heresy. And if we're not careful, the more we breathe it in, the more it becomes a part of our fabric. It becomes a part of who we actually are. And if we're not careful, rather than living out the fruits of the Spirit, we begin to, de- to live out the works of the flesh. If you don't be- believe me, look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Notice what it says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. What are they? Sexual immorality, sound familiar? Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. I believe we live in one of the greatest nations of idolatry in the world. Sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Now now we're going to be talking about some of your homes, right? Quarreling and jealousy and outburst of anger and selfish ambition and dissension and division. See, guys, what happens is we begin to focus all of our attention on what's going on in the here and now. And then ultimately on our claustrophobic little world, population one. We begin to focus all our attention on ourselves in the here and now when God desires for us to be focusing on eternity. Listen to me, guys. That's exactly what Satan wants. Satan doesn't care if you're a Christian. He realizes that he's lost that battle and that he cannot change that. However, he knows that if he can make you so busy, if he can get you caught up in the here and now and the circumstances of your life, then he can make you ineffective for the cause of Christ. And guys, can I tell you a secret? He's winning. Now, ultimately, the war is ours. We have ultimate victory. But in the here and now, in our families across America, he's winning the battle. We're so busy. How many of you in here would say that America as a whole are living in a way that is contrary to the glory of God? Sure, absolutely. Now, how many of you would say that in America we desperately need revival? Yeah. How many would say in Alabama we desperately need revival? How about in Oxford, Alabama, desperately How about at Meadowbrook Baptist Church, we desperately need revival? Now, listen to me carefully. Many of us are very quick to answer that question. Yes, Brother Shane, we desperately need revival at Meadowbrook Baptist Church. And this is the reason we answer that question that way. Because if you knew what was going on in the Jones life you'd know we need revival. If you knew what was going on behind the door in the Smith family, you'd know we need revival. Can I tell you the only reason that we should raise our hand in affirmation that Meadowbrook Baptist needs revival is because I personally need revival. 
Do you need it? Now remember we closed our eyes and we asked God what would change. And so just like with that question, we're asking God to answer it. I want us to ask God in these days. God, do I need revival? The reason that we need to answer that question is because Satan wants to destroy your family. Notice what it says in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief, Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Guys, something has got to be done. His goal is to destroy us. The good news is that the verse doesn't end there. It goes on to say, I have, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I love that word, abundantly. It means to go far beyond what is necessary. I believe that we could insert revived life. God wants, to, wants us to have an abundant life in these days. He wants to come and radically do a work in our families. So what we have to figure out is, if our families are not reflecting God's glory effectively, what is the solution? What's the solution? What does God say about this? With that in mind, let's look at the book of Colossae, the first couple of chapters. Now, let me help you understand a little bit about Paul's writing. Many times when Paul writes, he writes with the the mindset of Christ is, Christ has, I must. This is who Christ is. This is what Christ has done. Now as a result, therefore, I must. So kind of help you get get your, your mind around Paul and his teaching. So let's look at Colossians chapter 15, I mean chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. Starts off with the pronoun he. And he's talking about Christ here. So we're going to, wherever we see he, we're going to insert Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Christ and for Christ. And Christ is before all things, and in Christ all things hold together. And Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Christ might be preeminent. Now, these verses are packed full of truth, more than I have time this morning to actually break apart. But if I were to ask you this question, who are these verses about, what would your answer be? Christ, absolutely. They're about Christ. No doubt at all. These verses are about Christ. They clearly lay out that Christ is supreme or Christ is preeminent. Now when we talk about supreme or preeminent, what are we actually talking about? I love this definition. It means highest in rank or authority, paramount, sovereign, chief over. It's all about Christ. Now, having a young family, my children are 14 and down to five. We've been to a lot of uh, preschool birthday parties, okay? 
And I don't know if you've ever been to a preschool birthday party, but they can be rather interesting. This particular party for little Susie, she had the, the little small short tables that you can't sit in. You know, you're sitting there on your knees. Or, and, and all the kids are sp- uh, spread out around the table. And every child had right in front of them their little goodie bag. You know, I don't know who in the world thought of the idea when it's your party, you have little goodie bags for everybody else. It sounds like giving or something. I don't understand that. So anyway, so they have all these little bags laid out, and, and little Billy is sitting there with his little goodie bag in front of him. But over in the corner is this huge stack of gifts for Susie. And little Billy looks at his little bag, looks in the corner. Looks at his bag, looks in the corner. Billy's four. Billy ain't happy. He gets more frustrated and more frustrated in the moment because he's got this little bag and that little snot of a girl over there has this huge basket full of of stuff. And the more irritated he gets, the more it becomes obvious that he's irritated and he starts to pout and his pout turns into a cry and his cry turns into a tantrum. And then one of the parents spoke this huge sentence of theology into his life. She walked over to him and knelt down beside him and said this huge theological statement. Billy, the party is not your party. Billy, it's not about you. Guys, that's that's something that needs to be spoken every single one of our lives this morning. It's not your party. It's not about you. Let me kind of bring these verses home for us. He's God and we're not. (laughs) Guys, everything in our life and in our days ahead must begin here. God is God and I am not. We were in Tennessee Avenue uh, Baptist Church in Bristol, Tennessee and Somebody wrote this, where do I start? My life was crammed full of busyness and I found myself exhausted. Needless to say, I placed my precious Lord on the back burner, giving him what leftover time I had. This week has given me a fresh perspective on what I need to do to make him Lord first and then everything else second. What a wonderful difference this has made in my life and family. He is Lord was the last thing they wrote. (laughs) So according to these passages, Christ is paramount, Christ is sovereign, Christ is chief over what? He's Lord over what? Everything, right? Now, guys, I'm from Alabama, like some of you, and, and, and I need to understand what words really mean. Can I, can I help you in what that word everything means? It means our thing. All right? Everything. There's nothing that that word doesn't involve. Now, obviously, when we look at that word, that means that God is including your family and he's including my family in that word, right? Well, would you give me a little bit of liberty? Let's just kind of play with Scripture in a very reverent way this morning. Let's reinsert the word family everywhere we see thing. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Christ, all families were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all families were created through Christ and for Christ. And Christ is before all families. And in Christ, all families hold together. Boy, that's a huge truth. 
And Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all families or in every family, Christ might be preeminent. So guys, that means that everything that makes up your family, everything that you as a family own, Christ is paramount over. Christ is sovereign over. Christ is chief over. So here's the question. Is my family, remember we're living this one life, is my family living as if Jesus is supreme? Are we living as if we are owned by Christ? Is Christ our ultimate authority? One God for the purpose of his glory and his glory alone. One glory. Guys, this is our starting point. We must begin there before we can go anywhere else in the rest of this week. So if Christ is supreme over our families, why are our families falling apart? Why are they falling apart? Sometimes, guys, it just seems like life just gets filled up with all of this stuff. Focus on self. We get, we get caught up in the busyness of life. We get caught up in our own desires, our own lust, our own materialism. We get caught up in our own claustrophobic little world, population one. And it's just like we're plugging along. We're doing this thing called life. And before we know it, we just veered way off course. And we find ourselves seeking after the things of the world rather than seeking first the kingdom of God. 1 John 2.16 says, For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and pride in our possessions. These are not of the Father. They are from the evil of this world. Guys, I'd love to be able to say to you, just walk out, that back, out those back doors and you're going to see exactly this. But it's inside these four walls. And the scary thing is, is we're okay with it, Brother John. We're, we're okay that this defines Many of us as individuals and many of us as a family. February of 2014, the Patriot Ledger of Quincy, Massachusetts reported a, a new um, report. This is what it said. Honeydew Donuts is coming to Quincy, Massachusetts. Now, why in the world would that make headline news? Well, it made headline news because the Honeydew Donuts was going to be placed inside of the Quincy YMCA. Really? This would be the only Honeydew Donut inside of a YMCA ever. But here's the catch. Because of the wise focus on physical fitness and on health, the vendor had to agree that they would not sell donuts. Rather, they would sell coffee and low-fat muffins and salads and sandwiches and yogurts and fruit cups and smoothies and things like that. Really? A donut shop that agrees to sell no donuts. What's happening here is the donut shop is compromising. Now, that sounds absolutely ridiculous, right? That they were compromising, they would compromise selling donuts, which is what they do, their honeydew donuts... 
But isn't that exactly what we do? As believers, when we compromise our beliefs in order to seek the things of the world or the pleasures of the world. Guys, listen to me. A donut shop should sell donuts. And a Christian should be ruled by Christ. For many of us, it's not like we got up one morning and we, and we said, well, you know what? I'm no, no longer going to let Christ rule my family. I'm just making a decision today. He's not going to rule my family anymore. This is, I'm drawing this, this, the line in the sand. It's not like we did that. We started out toward Christ as a family, and then somehow we just got sidetracked. It's kind of like a, like a slow fade, right? The things in our life that used to be so black and white have now gradually become gray. The things that I wouldn't be caught dead doing at one time in my life now are just not a big deal. And before we know it, as a result of our vertical relationships, our relationship with God being affected, we find that our horizontal relationships, our relationships within our family and within our community are strained as well. We find our individual lives and our family lives so far away from God. And in desperate need of reconciliation. In desperate need of rescue. Can I give you some good news? God's in the rescuing business. Remember I told you none of you are here by chance this morning. I believe you're here because God wants to radically rescue you. Now, some of you when I said that you immediately thought, Brother Shane, I don't need to be rescued. Everything's good with me. You're the one that needs it the most. Me included. It's so easy for me to default to, I'm fine, you guys are messed up, we're here to fix you. When I'm just as much in desperate need. Look with me at verse 19. For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all families. Guys, we cannot miss this exciting truth. God's desire is to reconcile you. God's desire is to reconcile and rescue your family. Now, what happens in reconciliation is the sinner stands before God as an enemy. And because of the precious blood of his son, they become his friend. I love the the verb that's used there to reconcile. It means to change or exchange. In the New Testament, the usage speaks of a change in relationship. Our relationship with the world and the devil has been exchanged for relationship with Christ. The actual verb here in this scripture is a compound word. And it actually means to thoroughly, completely, and totally reconcile. God wants to thoroughly, completely, and totally reconcile you in these days now Paul is referring to salvation in in these particular verses that happens instantly when we repent and we surrender our lives to Christ but it's also a continual process that takes place in our lives God's desire is to do such a work in you and such a work in me to where we are holy and blameless and above all reproach according to verse 22 God wants to do a work in you and me that would allow your family and my family to better reflect His glory. Can I tell you a secret? That's why He gave you your family. It's for the purpose of His glory. 
not for the purpose of your happiness. Wow. Not only does God desire to do this in you and do this in me, but He provided a way. He sent Christ. And again, I believe that's why you're here today. Even though right now it may seem like that things are falling down around you. Maybe, maybe you and your spouse are on the slippery edge of divorce. Maybe you've got this wayward child that you're thinking if they don't return to the Lord, I don't know what I'll do. Or maybe you would just say, Shane, I'm in a rut in my life. I'm just going down the same path over and over again. Or maybe you would say there's bitterness in my heart. There's somebody that I just cannot forgive. Or maybe you would say, I'm, I find myself bound to immorality or bound to pornography or bound to some type of sin in my life and I just can't find a way out. I don't know what God said to you when you closed your eyes in the quietness of the moment and you said what would change. I, I believe if you're a child of God, God immediately began to speak something to your heart. I don't know what that was. But I know that all of us, there's a major problem in all of our marriages. There's a major problem in every relationship. There's a major problem in every community. And that problem is sin. And it's deceitful. Now my goal isn't to heap guilt on here. But my goal is for us to say, God, is that me? Would you reveal the sin in my life that causes me to be separated from you and then separated from my community? Guys, I don't know where you're living right now, but I know that God provides rescue. And because of Christ, in these days, we can push pause on the busyness of our lives and we can take our focus off of ourselves. We can take the focus off of the circumstances that we face and we can put our gaze on Christ again. God's desire, I believe, is to take us from our earthly focus and turn our hearts and our minds toward Him so that our focus is eternal again. And when our focus is eternal, when we have that one life, one glory, one God, one glory mindset, then it will begin to affect everything else in our lives. You see, guys, when God does reviving work in us, it changes everything around us. So if we as individuals and, and we as families are going to begin to take our focus off of our circumstances, take our focus off of ourselves, where do we start? Fast forward with me to Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Paul says, therefore, that word of transition... Paul says, now that you have settled the convictions of the supremacy of Christ, now that you have given yourself solely to God, you consented to be completely His. He's complete Lord of your life. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Paul says, walk with Christ. Paul says, don't do this thing called life alone. Walk with Christ. When you talk about walking with Christ, it's a picture of complete submission to His Lordship. That means that we're surrendering our treasures to Him. That means we're surrendering our time to Him. That means we're surrendering our 
our talent to him. Lord, everything I have is yours. Whatever you want me to do, however you want me to do it, whenever you want me to do it, it's yours. This is the picture of living open-minded, open-hearted, and open-handed. Everything I have is yours. And I'm choosing in this moment to walk with you. You define my next step. Paul continues on and he says to be rooted and built up in Christ. Everything we do and every decision that we should make should be filtered by the gospel. And our desire to impact the world for the purpose of his glory. This is a family that is living with purposeful intent to impact the people around us. Again, that's why God gave us our family. That's why you're a member of Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Not, be- not because God has anything. That's not true. God wants to do great things in you because you're a part of Meadowbrook Baptist Church. But God brought you here because he wants you to impact the community of Meadowbrook Baptist Church. It's not about us. God wants to use us for the purpose of his glory. We were at a church in Winfield, Pennsylvania, and the worship pastor, him and I were talking about impacting the community. And he homeschooled his children. And he and his wife began to pray, and he came to me one day. Now, I don't know that I would have made this decision, but he did. He came to me and he said, Shane, we've really been listening to this idea of impacting the community for the purpose of the glory. And I'm a pastor. We homeschool our children. The only people that we ever hang out with is church people. So we're making a decision as a family to put our children in public school so that forces us into a community of non-believers. They were willing to sacrifice for the purpose of the gospel. Paul goes on and he says, So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith. This means that the idea of supremacy of Christ should be confirmed in your life by testimony. Everything that you do in your life shouts Christ. How many of you are familiar with A113? Anybody, any movie buffs in here? If you ever watch any movie, especially the Pixar movies, you're going to see this everywhere. You probably won't even notice it. A113, you see it on the tag there um, in Toy Story. It's on a camera in Finding Nemo. It's on a, on a train car in Cars and the ear in Ratatouille. It's everywhere. A113 was a room number at the California Institute of Arts. And what this is in the movies is this is a cinematic fingerprint. It's a calling card that says a CalArt alumni was part of this movie. The part of the making of this movie. It's a calling card. Listen to me. We as believers should have a calling card. Everywhere we go, we should leave the mark of Christ. Our lives should point everyone we encounter to Christ. And here's the thing, guys. This is the normal. This is the normal that everywhere we go, we leave God juice. We leave the presence of God because He's in us. And when this begins to be our lives, then we will naturally be abounding in thanksgiving. Guys, we want you and your families in these days to experience this abounding thanksgiving. When Christ is at the core of our families, then we will naturally be families of thanksgiving. 
But if we're going to be characterized by this life in these days, I believe there's a process we're going to have to walk through. Beginning this morning, we're going to have to walk through a process. The first thing is there's got to be some admission in our lives. We've got to admit, God, you know what? This is not me. This doesn't describe my family at all. We are the family that is veered way off path. I admit, God, especially men, listen to me, as heads of your family, you have to be the one that's willing to stand up and say, we can't go this path anymore. There's also got to be aspiration. It's got to be something that you desire. God, I admit that I'm not there, but I want to be there. I want to be a family. I want to be an individual that I do everything filtered by the gospel of Christ. Then there's got to be some acknowledgement. You've got to be willing to acknowledge to the Lord your weaknesses, your sin. You've got to be willing to acknowledge your desperate need. God, I need you. <laughs> if you go through these days and you decide that you're going to pick up some of the nuggets and you're going to start doing some of these nuggets and that'll get you where you need to go, you'll fall flat on your face. The only way we can get there is in desperate need. And there's got to be some abdication. That means we're willing to be nobody. I know that's a big word. Basically what it means is it means I'm giving up the throne, God. I'm not going to be sitting on the throne of my life anymore. I'm letting you sit there. And then appropriation. That means we just come to God by faith and say, God, I can't do this, but you can. Do it in me, oh God. I'm coming by faith, God, asking you to make the changes that you revealed to me because I can't do it in my own strength. And then finally, there's got to be abandonment. That's where you're willing to be a yes man or a yes woman. Now I understand that's very countercultural. What do you mean be a yes man or a yes woman? Remember Acts chapter 10. Jesus let down the sheep bound at four corners. And in the middle of the sheet were hooved animals. And Peter is on the rooftop um, of his house having this rooftop experience. And as the sheet comes down, Peter says, take, uh, Jesus says, take Peter and eat. Remember that? Remember the story? What's Peter's response to Jesus? Not so, Lord. Peter did something that you can't do. You can't tell him no. And call him Lord in the same sentence. Many of you in these days are going to be faced with a yes, no. You're either going to say yes, Lord. Or you're going to say no, Lord. Can your family afford for you to say no?